0: Welcome to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders.
1: Welcome back to another edition of the McKnight's Newsmaker Podcast. I'm McKnight's Executive Editor, Jim Berklin, and we are going to look together into the future of hopefully a successful model. We really think that's the case. I'm here with Michael Harold, President and CEO of Guardian Healthcare one of the largest privately-owned healthcare organizations providing services to communities in Pennsylvania and West Virginia. It was founded in 1995, and today, Guardian has grown to 35 skilled nursing communities. Overall, it has more than 3,800 skilled nursing, personal care, and independent living units, as well as an in-house pharmacy that serves people inside and beyond the company's patient base. Now, what we really find interesting for today's talk is that while many other operators may have been looking to consolidate their power structure or capitalize more on bulk packaging, Mike, you've made a move toward decentralization, haven't you? I'm I'm really curious, can you tell us about that?
0: Absolutely. Thanks, uh, Jim. And it's great to talk to you today. We've been focused over the last six months at Guardian, really having learned from the pandemic and, and affirming our belief uh, coming out of the pandemic that our team members really possess unlimited potential in what they can achieve um, to support and provide care to our residents and patients. And so um, our leadership team really has focused on trying to harness that potential in a way that can better support the communities that we serve and meet all of the care needs of those communities. And so our vision as an organization moving forward is really to be able to provide to be the leading provider of care in the communities that we serve because of our extraordinary team members. We know those team members are the key to our success, and we believe this model best reflects how we can really take the potential, the care, the commitment, the compassion that they bring to their work to really deliver quality care to those community members and in the communities that we serve. Okay. Uh, that's really what motivated the decision.
1: Good, good. And I was going to say, let's back up and break it down. So what would you say then is the impetus behind this organizational shift, the main impetus?
0: It's really the desire to break down those barriers that are sometimes created inadvertently by a centralized model. And what I mean by that is, um, we often see that within certain um, geographic proximity with our sites, because we are one of the largest providers in Pennsylvania, we tend to have sites that are within a close radius of each other sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's 10 miles, sometimes it's 20, 30 miles, but still we might be two of the three or four skilled nursing providers in a particular area. When you have a large centralized model, we saw that sometimes our sites weren't collaborating, communicating, and working together as effectively as possible to be able to help manage the care in those communities and to provide Um, effective care to meet the needs of the patients and the community members in those areas. So this approach is really meant to be a strategy to help us to work more effectively with our referral partners, help us to ultimately provide um, better care, higher levels of acuity care, to meet all of the varying needs of residents within these communities so that we can ultimately help provide and generate better outcomes for care healthier patient populations um, and ultimately um, healthier communities.
1: Okay. Now, something like this isn't necessarily flip a switch. It's real easy. Everybody's on board. Uh, you know, What were some of the toughest decisions you had to contemplate and, and make and, and how did you overcome some of those hurdles?
0: Yeah, you're right about that. Um, we certainly wish it was that easy, but it's not. Um, I think... One of the things that we spent a lot of time talking about as a team and really making sure that we were aligned on in terms of executing on on this initiative and implementing ultimately this initiative, is really making sure that we all understood um, what accountability would look like for this type of model, what our expectations were, for our site leaders, for our regional team members who support those sites, um, and really being ready to clearly communicate those expectations and setting that level of accountability. Um, Really focusing in on um, communicating to our sites that a lot of their preconceptions or prior thought processes and ways of doing things um, could be set aside Um, As we focus on collaborating together and and working together more closely to meet the needs of the communities that we serve together so that that multiple guardian sites may serve in a particular area.
1: Okay. I think uh, maybe uh, somebody might call it every now and then there might be some turf wars or some preferences (laughs) or whatever. Can you get a little specific, you know, or for an example that others might identify with out there?
0: Well, I think that, um, you know, we have spent a lot of time making sure that we have in place a way that we can empower our site leaders to make decisions most effectively. Um, And so what that sometimes means is giving them the framework, the foundation that they need to make those decisions, making sure they have policies and procedures, um, whether operational or clinical, making sure they have employee handbooks and employee HR policies and procedures but really then um, using a regional support team to be much more of a coach mentor type system to help site leaders ultimately make decisions to drive their healthcare operations. Um, And that's really the shift that we're making right now. It's the focus that we have, and it's the way that we think um, this strategy can best be executed.
1: Okay, now how is this, let's get to the core business here. How has this affected care outcomes?
0: Um, we really uh, think that this will be a great way to help improve care outcomes within our communities. Some of our clusters have um, larger site; uh, you know, uh, they're, they're larger sites that tend to have um, uh, a long-term care population, a greater long-term care population, maybe than a neighboring site that's within 10 miles of that building that might focus on a more short-term population, um, short-term re- meeting short-term rehab needs of certain patients. So. This is really meant to be a way for those sites, those two sites in particular, um, to be communicating, collaborating, focusing on how they can um, ultimately process the referral that they might both get, but make a decision to best support the needs of the patient to ultimately direct them to the better site or, or suggest um, the better site to meet their particular needs. Um, that's really how we see this sort of playing out um, in terms of that collaboration and, and making sure that... Or sightsee that it's not necessarily about their individual outcomes, but it's about the cluster's outcomes um, when it comes to the business, ultimately, the operational outcomes.
1: Okay, now you say you've been at this about six months, right? So, you probably fair to say you haven't gathered as much data as you will, or that you can really make a lot of hard judgments yet? <sighs>
0: That, that's definitely fair. And we've actually, um, we've been doing a lot of the work, the planning, and and we're now in the execution phase of a lot okay. of that. So, okay.
1: Yeah. okay, good. And and you, you either are or you expect that it will be able to raise the ceiling on some of the uh, complexity of cases you said that uh, you can take?
0: We do. Ultimately, that's another way in which we hope this model will prove um, beneficial to the communities we serve. And really, it gets back to that core of how we can focus on um, being a value-based provider um, and ultimately making sure that our sites are meeting the needs of not only our referral partners, but our payer partners, um, and, and really enabling us to focus on achieving those um, better or higher outcomes that ultimately prevent someone from returning to um, an acute care setting and really get them ready to return back, back to home or back to their communities.
1: Okay. Now you've nibbled around on the edges of the next question I was going to ask too, because this is a business. We have to look at bottom line implications. Can you talk a little bit about either what you've seen or what you expect to see uh, with that regard?
0: Yeah, so our organization really over the last year has made a a tremendous investment in technology. Um, We've developed a really effective um, referral management platform. Um, It's a SaaS-based system that we rely upon to help process um, all of our referrals and ultimately convert our admissions. Um, We think that this model just really fits seamlessly with um, that that system that we're already relying upon, and that's what will help to facilitate um, that more effective um, admission and and referral, ultimately, process.
1: Okay, good. Uh, Workforce issues. Uh, We have to look at that in this day and age, right? Uh, Whether we're talking about how many you have, how many you don't. How has this approach either helped or made it more challenging because i would think by going to regional you may be talking about adding some more bodies you're not just putting one boss at uh, central headquarters so in general how have you found this move to be uh, are you hiring more is it m- even more difficult that way uh, how are you coping with that
0: our focus really has been on continuing to Um, recruit and retain um, frontline direct caregivers. That's really um, the drive here. And the the way in which we're approaching that is by empowering our specific site leaders to ultimately help to make this model work and make it effective. So um, we actually have not had to increase the number of regional operators or regional support team members um, that are required for this, where we have made... Um, particularly some some key investments on the regional side, has been with respect to our clinical team members and clinical operations. That's where we're dedicating and and devoting um, more resources to ensure that each cluster has a dedicated regional clinician. But um, really the focus for us has been at the site level and making sure that we have the best leaders for each site ultimately by supporting them with personal professional development plans, putting them on career paths that may be a focused career path within their site to help them grow and develop into ultimately a site CEO, or a path where they might want to get some multi-site management experience. Um, And so we've created those paths for those leaders, and now we're focused on working with our existing leaders, developing a talent pipeline of site leaders for the future, ultimately to bring them into the organization. And it's those, uh, you know, we're looking for leaders who really embrace our vision of, and the culture that we're attempting to create of leadership and workforce development. That's our focus. And that's what we really hope to achieve as our, our, one of our greatest outcomes from breaking down those silos, breaking down those barriers that sometimes come with a centralized model.
1: Yeah, we've written quite a bit lately, as everybody's aware, is that frontline workers obviously are, are are missing in many places around the country. But also, though, at the managerial and the, the site-specific operations leaders, um, has it been difficult to, to find sufficient? And this goes back even before maybe this move. How have you found that you guys have coped with that?
0: Yeah, We're, we've been fortunate at Guardian that we really do have – Um, strong and capable site leaders. But over the last couple of years, um, we've taken um, great steps to work with um, local colleges and universities um, to really partner with them. Slippery Rock is one in particular, Slippery Rock University is one in particular where um, we've really tried to expand our partnership to work with them um, in terms of partnering on um, or collaborating around their curriculum for their healthcare management administration program. They have a long-term care track. We view those as, as really the ways in which we're building pipelines for leadership talent. Um, we're committed to working on more of those partnerships with the colleges and universities in, in Pennsylvania and West Virginia. Um, so that's one way in which we're we're focusing on developing that talent pipeline. For our leaders within the organization, it's about creating those opportunities for continued professional development. And so we're focused on that right now. Our HR team um, is really committed to building out that professional development program um, and creating those opportunities for additional education, um, you know, leadership programs, leadership development programs. Those are the types of affiliations that we're um, working on now and making available to our site leaders uh, to help them to continue to grow ultimately their operations.
1: And that's really excellent recognition because isn't that the old rub, whether it's, uh, well, Michael Jordan, maybe is the best example of, you know, somebody's good at what they do, so let's make them a manager. And the reason I say Michael Jordan, as everybody knows, um, even though I'm Chicago area native, you know, he's a terrible executive, right? So you can't just put somebody you think is good there without the resources. Is that what you're saying?
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Very good. Roughly how many uh, colleagues, how many employees do you have in the company? I meant to ask that a little bit earlier.
0: We have just shy of 3,500. I think it's around right around 3,400 employees.
1: Okay. So that is a considerable workforce. And, right. and to put that in there, have you noticed any unintended consequences or, well, we'll even say surprises from what you started first with this planning process and thought, okay, this is going to be smooth this way and it wasn't, or let's do this and, oh, wait a minute, we've got an added benefit there. Can you think of anything like that?
0: Um, we haven't really encountered too many of those surprises yet. I think one of the things that we've been most pleased with is really the response and the receptiveness from uh, our site leaders. Um, I think they really have embraced this strategy and they've really, um, they're have really they really focused on um, helping to make this strategy work. And I think it's because of the fact that we're all focused on really creating a team atmosphere and, and making sure that we have a, a team-centered approach to the way that these clusters will uh, clusters of sites will approach their operations. So people seem excited about that. They're engaged around it. Um, and, and frankly, more so than I think we had even anticipated.
1: Okay, that, that's very interesting to find out now. This is a bit of a negative proof question, I guess. We've talked a lot about what's in it for the employees, managers, how this is gonna work. Uh who isn't going to work well or fit well in this type of situation? And and you know where I'm going with this. We're looking at how can others replicate it? You know, is there a certain profile, are there certain aspects, characteristics of somebody's um work approach that boy, you know, this probably isn't for you uh, is what we think.
0: One of the things that um, can sometimes be difficult for um, an organization to work through or even an individual to work through, I think, is um, the uncertainty that might come with a model like this in terms of um, someone's decision-making ability and ultimately the outcomes that come from that decision. Um, And maybe that's a really long way of saying um, an organization has to be ready to let their leaders make mistakes along the way. Um, They have to do it within certain bounds, right? It can't compromise patient safety. Um, It can't jeopardize anyone's health or safety in the process. But um, as long as it doesn't do that, as long as it's not illegal, unethical, immoral, um, or put someone in harm's way, You know, I think one of the things that we've worked really hard um, to talk to our leaders about is the fact that, you know, under this model, you have to be given that ability to try something new, try a different approach, even if it's not the way you might traditionally do things, and you're going to make mistakes along the way. And that's okay, um, because we have subject matter experts, and we have operations and clinical leaders who are there to support you, help you identify the ways in which Um, You know, your approach maybe didn't work as best as we had hoped um, and ultimately to get us back on track.
1: Really kind of a laboratory for, you know, try a little bit here and then if it works, we'll take it to or suggest it to another site or maybe something like that, right?
0: Exactly. If it works, then we hope everybody shares the feedback. And and as we have the as the clusters uh, come together and talk, they share that feedback and maybe it'll work and we can replicate it somewhere else.
1: Okay, so we've talked a little bit about how you're nosing into this. When do you think will be a fair time to say, okay, is this working or, or to really gauge? I mean, obviously, you'll do your quarterly six-month annual, but when do you think you'll really be able to sit back and say, this was a good idea or really get a good report card?
0: Our leadership team uh, would like to really dive into that question within the next year. We think that it will take a full year to implement and really see if this model is working. Um, we think that, you know, on our implementation timeline, we're we're certainly expecting that it will take this entire quarter for us to fully implement this model. And then we think it will take at least two to three quarters to start seeing some of the results, some of the benefits, some of the ways in which our referral processes are streamlined, our hiring processes are improved. Frankly, our retention numbers um, mm-hmm. start to increase. Those are really some of the key um, metrics that we we will be looking at to assess whether this strategy is working.
1: That sounds about right and then I'm alluded to it a little bit earlier. Let's look outward um, because certainly you've learned some things already. I know you've told me about that. What would you recommend to others because I assume it's looking positive. What would you recommend? uh advise to others who may be thinking of this peers if you will uh of going this route
0: i think um if there are other organizations or peers that are really um, looking for ways to empower and engage their site leaders um, really help them to sort of turn the corner on Mm -hmm. a lot of um, the the hangover effect from the pandemic um, that we've still continued to experience and just some of the burnout and 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 the um, you know sort of general sense among folks that could this all come back you know is it are we done are we finally done with that um, I think really the best way that an organization might be able to look at whether this is something they need is to talk to their site leaders um, ask them if they if they feel empowered to make those kinds of decisions um, really understand their level of engagement um, our organization over the last year. Uh, did stay interviews with many of our leaders. And that was a way that we tried to collect information, data, feedback from our team members to really assess um, what their engagement was, what it is they were seeking, how we could work to support them more effectively. It's ultimately what contributed to some of the decisions we made in this process. So um, going through that process in and of itself will, I think, really help um, an organization understand if this is the right move for them to make
1: yeah you have to have the right uh, type of player if you will to use a sports analogy again to, you know to kind of nose into this I'd imagine uh, if you have I don't know reserved or or people who are not willing to take chances or take the reins you know I, what I hear from you is I think that everybody's want to bust out and exercise their what they wanted to do always maybe what they went to school for but this darn pandemic got in the way this may be great timing for this yeah
0: exactly that you hit the nail on the head Jim and that's exactly what we work to make sure that we understood about our own organization before we moved forward with this and now like I said a minute ago you know, we're seeing the benefit of that because people are more engaged than they'd even anticipated.
1: Well, exciting time, you know, as spring blooms and it's almost like coming out of a winter. We can use that even though as we record this, we're in the dead of winter in uh, Pennsylvania and Illinois in uh, January. Uh, Any final thoughts on maybe what's firing your imagination? What you're most curious and excited going forward uh, with this process?
0: I think we're most excited to see how this, Um, continues to reinforce in our team members their purpose in being a healthcare provider. Um, I think that's what's been the most rewarding part of the experience for me personally, working with my team on this initiative, uh, is seeing their level of engagement, their excitement around this new approach and this new way in which we support our sites and their operations. And we're starting now to hear those same types of stories, getting that same feedback from our regional leaders and from our site leaders um, who, who are now seeing this unfold. And it's it's the enthusiasm, the excitement that comes across in their voice as they make even small improvements in the way that they're communicating with each other, collaborating across sites, collaborating uh, among um, buildings with you know leader to leader. That's what I think really has been one of the greatest benefits that we've seen come out of this, it's one of the most satisfying things that I've experienced as a leader within our organization. And I think I can say safely, that's what my team is most excited about too.
1: Well, one other thing I'd like to touch base for sure is we'd be remiss not to talk about some of the leadership that you have at the very top. I mean, with a organization, the size of yours, obviously there's fantastic work going on down the line. We couldn't mention all of them, but you've had some executive leadership uh changes shifts or also really great placements can you tell us a little bit about those
0: we have i i'm just thrilled to talk about the team that we have in place here at guardian and um, we have really put together a group of what i think are all stars um, and i know they're all stars and they're going to help us to execute on this plan and um, really i think we have now sometimes we we meet and we get together and we, and we talk as a team. And, um, one of the themes that consistently comes up from some of uh, our, our leaders is that, you know, when we're in that room planning and working and trying to get through some challenges, um, I don't think you get any sense of, um, ego or, or, um, individual, uh, you know, opportunity. It, It really is, a a team environment. And I think that's because of the individuals with our organization um, right now who are helping to drive uh, this organization forward. And we take seriously the responsibility to um, set the example, to model the way as leaders for the entire organization. And I've been so impressed with the way that um, the team has come together to do that. Um, We have um, some veterans um, from long-term care who've joined us overseeing our our compliance program our reimbursement program we have some others from within our organization who we've grown and developed into our human resources leadership our clinical leadership um, our finance leadership so um, it's really been an exciting time for our organization Um, we have a great blend of folks who've been here who understand guardians history its story um, and where it has been and where they want to see it go And that's just aligning so well with the individuals who've joined us over the last six to 12 months, um, who share that same passion and conviction for improving people's lives, improving their health ultimately. Um, And that's just coming together so nicely in in our team that uh, I feel like we're unstoppable.
1: Excellent. One other thing I've been meaning to ask too though, is you mentioned good examples and good mentors. Have you modeled this? Who do you look to on the outside? Was there some inspiration for this, whether it's within the sector or the greater business world? Uh, are there any models that you looked at?
0: Um, I was extremely fortunate in my career before I came to Guardian uh, about almost six years ago now um, to really have benefited from some great mentors in my personal professional development, um, one of them in particular in healthcare. Happened to be from a totally different background. He was finance background. He happened to be the CFO of a health plan in the Pittsburgh area. Um, He was really a a great mentor and inspirational leader to me. Um, And now having joined the Guardian organization and and been here for almost six years, like I said, um, I really draw a tremendous amount of inspiration, um, but also look to them for guidance and coaching and mentorship from from our owners. Um, We have uh, an active and engaged chairman of the board, who is a co-founder of our organization Um, and our other owners are, uh, you know, family members who um, I think just are are great individuals. Um, They're strong business leaders within uh, our community and um, they're, they're individuals that I really look to um, who inspire me um, and they have been wonderful coaches and mentors for me personally. So I, I love working with them and learning from them every day.
1: Well, there you have it, folks. That's really a kind of a playbook on how it gets done, creating a new vision, but borrowing from things in the past and from the best of everything. And it's really going to be exciting, Mike, to see how this develops. Uh, you're embarked on an exciting new uh, path for the company, and I think the rest of the sector will be watching very closely. We've been speaking with Michael Harrell, president and CEO of Guardian Healthcare. Thanks very much for joining us today, Mike. Really appreciate it. And I'd like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to the McKnight's Newsmaker Podcast series wherever you get your podcasts. This is Jim Berklin, as always, wishing you good health and outstanding days ahead.
0: Thank you for listening to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers Podcast. For the latest in long-term care news, visit McKnight's.com.